It is an honor to be with you all tonight, and Eric asked me to uh, talk a little bit about digital footprints and managing digital footprints, and a little bit about social media, and he said, orient this talk to folks who may not be participating a lot in social media, but may know family members, children, grandchildren, aunts, uncles, cousins, others, who are using social media, and so... The slides that I have today are available on my website. If you want to Google my name, I posted those last night. And um, I want to start by asking you if you remember when cartoons were special on Saturday morning. Do you remember that? It was a huge thing, right? To be able to have access to cartoons. And I think about the snow days now. I teach in Yukon. My wife teaches at Positive Tomorrow's downtown in Oklahoma City. Uh, we've had two snow days this last week. When do kids get bored today? If they have access to media, if they have access to a console system, it's amazing the choices that are available. It's amazing how different things have changed in some respects pretty quickly. <clears throat> So I took a picture on Saturday morning in 2010 of my children. And back in 2010, I think it was before Minecraft. You know, any young people playing Minecraft? You play Minecraft yourself. All right. I play Minecraft. I have an after-school club. I teach fourth and fifth grade STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and math. And we have a maker's club where we make stuff, sometimes digitally, sometimes otherwise. Today was our, our first show and tell, so I learned all about different Minecraft things. But we weren't playing Minecraft yet, I think it was Club Penguin, which was bought by Disney. It's a virtual world where you can be a penguin and waddle around and play games and have people. Then there's Webkins, and then you bought a Webkins for a young person, okay? You know why young people are upset if the tag is off the Webkins? Right? Because that's your ticket to the virtual world, right? So I retook this picture this summer. This was 2010. Now, besides the legs, what else changed? <laughs> what do you see? What do you see happen? Oh my gosh, we're not one to one. We are two to one. And we hear lots more in the media now about things like hashtags. You know, during the Oscars, I was like, oh, we actually watched the Oscars. You know, Ellen DeGeneres retweeted this picture with all these folks that became the most retweeted picture ever. It surpassed President Obama's tweet of whatever, how many years ago that was. But, yes, this is a stage picture. My kids don't look like this in our living room all the time. But how many of us have started to rely upon a smartphone being in our pocket? Does, does anyone feel incomplete if you walk out of the house without a guy? I met Peggy. Where's Peggy? Peggy said that sometimes you know someone in your family who, who throws that smartphone down. You know, it's some frustration. So there's a good side there. What's that? So we're being But, you know, there's some frustration that goes with it. But <clears throat> technology is changing not only what we see and what we do, but in some ways it's changing who we are because it changes uh, who we connect with, the ideas that we have access to, and the ways we live our lives. Do you remember the days before texting? Do you remember going out in your neighborhood like, Without a phone? <laughs> on your bike, maybe? You remember that? Yeah. Have you not answered a phone call to a loved one? Or I, That happened to me a few years ago when I stumbled out of a stall that I was in Washington and I suddenly left the cell phone. My wife broke down the car. I was, we may never live that down, right? Not being accessible at the time of need. So things have changed. Do uh, you remember Pac Man? Remember, you think about your first video game. We had Pong, okay? Pong was this game, I'll explain to the young people, where you had these two bars and this ball came across, and you, you know, it was like, talk about old school, you know? That was the beginning. A lot of times when adults today look at 
and technologies like a smartphone or an iPad or a tablet. We do think about an arcade, and uh, has anybody here played Flappy Bird? Any Flappy Bird players? Look at the, look at the other people back there. <laughs> okay. Is, is it addictive? Is it true? I almost broke my What's the high score of Flappy Bird in the room? Anybody? Uh, uh, 280. 35. For the real? That's amazing. I broke I, a score of 30 is pretty high. If you wonder what in the heck we're talking about, there was a game created by a fellow in Indonesia, I think, called Flappy Bird, that became this incredibly popular thing. He had so much attention, he actually took it offline because he, he said, I don't, I don't want this. But it was crazy. Here's somebody in Indonesia makes up a game about a little bird flapping that you fly through these you know, spaces and the world is playing this game. So we can play games on these devices. Uh, has anybody had this kind of a dining experience before? <laughs> now that's, that's not a smartphone, so that's an old picture. But have you had that happen at dinner time? You know, where we have to say, put away our devices. Okay, not now. Let's not text now. There's that side, but there, and have you heard of this book, Goodnight iPad? Maybe you've heard of Goodnight Moon. You know Goodnight Moon? This is a spoof. It's a real book by Penguin Books. I won't play it, but you can have the whole thing on YouTube. Just Google Goodnight iPad, YouTube. And it's uh, by a famous author, Anne Droid. Have you heard of that? <laughs> so it is a spoof on really how technology can become so consuming you know, the grandmother just ends up throwing all the devices out the window at the end of the night, much to the chagrin of husband and children and all these other people. Well, personal technology has different sides, but it really, in my view, can be much more than a game. It can be much more than a distraction. It can really be an imagination machine. And there's a guy, uh, not just a guy, a professor, Seymour Papert, who uh, wrote a great book called The Children's Machine years ago. I don't know if you remember back in the 80s when technology first came into schools. We were doing things with a uh, turtle logo, and there were these turtles, and kids would program them to make them turn and draw things on the ground. And Seymour Papert's kind of the father of that. And so I think that technology can be used in wonderfully constructive ways, uh, as well as, you know, it's, it's a tool. There's lots and lots of potential. <coughs> We're going to talk tonight, not just about that good side, but we're going to talk about some of, um, not a lot about the dark side, but we're going to talk about some of the negative. And I um, use this slide a lot when I give a presentation to say, I have to be honest, right? There's a good side and a, and a, and a bad side to technology. And I think we want to be savvy to both so that we can make good choices and we can encourage all of the folks that we work with, in our family, in our place of work, in our school, to make good choices. Here are some easy things. Anybody have the easy button? Sure. Okay. Here's the easy button tonight, right? Easy button number one. Scary. Anybody scared of technology now? The changes? Did Richard just get up? Snowden? What's Snowden's first name? Edward. Did Edward Snowden at all affect your thoughts about technology? I can probably scare you with things. How about overwhelm? Does anybody feel overwhelmed? Most of us came in the room tonight feeling both of those things to varying degrees, okay? We also could lament change in youth culture. I almost put in a, a picture of Elvis. Does anybody here remember when, and, and this is going to date me, because I was born in 1970, so you just know that, um, when Elvis was really viewed as the horrific corrupter of the youth who was just taking us all straight down the toilet? So I've been told by my mother, who was born in 1940 and grew up in Abilene, Texas, and actually gave Elvis a ride back to his hotel with her friend, because his tires had all been uh, night, and he couldn't drive back. Anyway, at one time, that's what we thought, right? We thought that... So we, we probably all, and this happens generationally, tend to sometimes do that, to think, oh, the whole world is going down the toilet. And some of it is, I'm sure. But uh, there's a lot of good things going on. And... What I hope you get out of tonight's short message is the importance of us communicating and having opportunities to teach each other and to learn together. I know a little bit about technology. My kids know a lot. And it's a dynamic thing, right? I have a 16-year-old son. I have a 13-year-old daughter. I have a 10-year-old daughter. 
And things are changing all the time. And so whether you're here tonight wearing the hat of the grandparents, the hat of the parents, the hat of the neighbor, the hat of the church member, the hat of the teacher, whatever your hat, we have important roles to play the, the hat of the student, the child of the family, right? The friend. The friend who might be the first one to hear something, you know, before parents know it. We've all got important roles to play in communicating. And that's probably, hopefully, going to be one of the messages that we'll talk about. So, here's the question for your table. I'm going to give you uh, about 60 seconds to talk about this question. There may not be anyone at your table who knows, but I want you to talk at your table. What do you think West means by digital footprints? Okay? Talk at the Yeah, like stuff like that. I was in the sun under some like smaller organizations like that. 
and media blog. My Facebook, then you go about what music I like, the books, the movies, television, athletes, the sports I do. I'm a photographer, which is a UBC student newspaper. I do my own freelance stuff, so I think a lot of that shows up when you Google my name. You know, Jordan, but I'm proud Egyptian, and I like to raise awareness about slavery in Egypt. I use a member of my job, <laughs> which um, is as a legal assistant at the Vaccine Relations Center. I don't tend to put a lot of stuff online, so it's probably my LinkedIn account, uh, so probably my educational background, work experience. You probably find like a LinkedIn profile, Facebook. I think that's the probably two things that's going to pop up. Um, but it's just going to be me or be some other person with the same name. Yeah, I think you probably find like just basic stuff like that email. Maybe you get a link to my Facebook page, uh, that kind of thing. Probably my footprint is bigger than I think, though. Okay, so. What is your digital tattoo? That was what they were, they were asking. Um, <coughs> conversations about digital footprints are important because when many of the folks in this room grew up, there was not an internet. There was not a place to have digital footprints. I, we go to church in Edmond at First Presbyterian, and we had one of our former school counselors, which is an elementary who's now in private practice, give a presentation for parents on a Wednesday night like this, maybe three or four years ago. I took notes, put, put that on my blog, I shared that kind of stuff. And a couple weeks ago, or a couple weeks later, she came and said, Wes, I'm on the internet. And I said, oh, okay, uh, what do you mean? She said, your notes, that, that's not everything that I do. And I said, I know. That was just some thoughts that you had shared with us. She had not realized before that, that she could be Google, that she could be the result of a search query. And I think somebody had shared with her, hey, I just Googled you, here's what came up. One of the very important things for us to think about in terms of a digital footprint is what we share online. Now, some of you may not be interested in sharing anything online, or you may just be on Facebook or some of these other social media sites to find out what families do. Who's finding out things on a daily or weekly basis about family because of Facebook? Okay, I see a fly is rolling too. Maybe too much information. Have you heard of TMI? That's too much information. Sometimes there's more information than you wanted. But um, probably one of the most important things to think about, and, and maybe especially for young people, is what are you publishing in your name? Now, if your name is John Smith, there's probably a lot of John Smiths. If your name is kind of unique, then maybe you're going to publish something that's going to be right there on the top. One of the things I believe is that, especially as you get older, this may not be when you're in high school or middle school, but as you get into college or you just go beyond 12th grade, you want to think about what you publish because you don't just want the things people find to be things other people maybe have published. You want to take charge of that. So I want to commend a book to you. I just started listening to this on audio. Anybody else listen to audio books? I have a 30-minute commute back and forth to work. Love listening to the New Version Bible. Love listening to audiobooks. So this is by Dana Boyd. And yes, she doesn't capitalize her name intentionally. And the book it was published in February of this year. It's called It's Complicated, The Social Lives of Network Teens. I am not a teenager anymore. So I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on what the folks who are teenagers could tell us about the life they lead and the ways that technology plays into that. But Dana has some pretty good things to share because she's interviewed a lot of teens around the United States. And these are some of the things that I picked up. She says, the internet mirrors, magnifies, and makes more visible the good, the bad, and the ugly of everyday life. Technology is an amplifier, and social media amplifies that. She also said over 80% of U.S. teens back in 2010 had a cell phone. Okay, let's do a survey now. If you're under 18, how many of you have a cell phone? All right, let's do the whole room. How many of you have a cell phone? Okay, surveys show that over half of U.S. adults last year had a, had a um, I want to say a smartphone. It was an internet-capable uh, phone. It could not just pay phone calls but get on the internet. And the surveys also show that 
folks that are in a lower socioeconomic situation, how do they get online first? It's not by buying a MacBook, right? It's by getting a mobile device. So lots of people get online uh, across the socioeconomic spectrum. Persistence, visibility, spreadability, and searchability are all unique characteristics of network digital public, <coughs> meaning that persistent. A lot of the things that are shared stay there. They don't go away. They're visible, they can spread like wildfire, and they're searchable. Um, <coughs> teens create context, channel accounts, not to hide identity, but to engage with others as a different digital persona. For those of you that are older, do you remember high school? <laughs> you remember the challenges around identity and figuring out who you were and working with parents and all the things that happened. And now we've got this digital stuff going on where, as a teen, when you haven't worked out that, suddenly your actions and your words and maybe your pictures and videos suddenly could possibly become permanent for anybody to see, for parents and grandparents to see. It's a very challenging environment. Some teens choose to provide false data on social media sites to control their network situation, their network context. A um, couple more. For some adults, nostalgia can get in the way of understanding teens' real relationships to social technologies. Okay? Sometimes we just think about the good old days, and there were things about the good old days that were good, but there's things about the good old days that weren't so great. And I think that plays into a lot of these discussions about teens and social media. This is huge. Many adults have overly simplistic perceptions of teen feelings and desires about online privacy. In other words, some adults think, and we've had media articles on Time Magazine and others saying, privacy is over. Teens today don't care about privacy. Okay? I won't put all of you on the spot, but I'm going to guess if we would talk to the teens that are here, they do care about privacy. Privacy is the ability to have some control over what you share and who gets to see it. And just because Facebook makes it the default that you share everything doesn't mean that every teen wants that choice. Many adult anxieties over teen social media use derive from reluctance to let teens fully participate in public life. Has anybody else noticed that sometimes teens are not as excited about driving? I have a son right now who's just starting to drive. Yeah. You know me, anybody like that? Yeah. In our day, like that was huge. But my son, not so much. And I've talked to different parents about that. And I think that the ways that teens can connect with each other, it's different, right? It's not just the car. I mean, my son has FaceTime and Skype conversations with his friends. And they play Minecraft and Skype, and it's crazy. It's not just the car. So, anyway, we sometimes are reluctant to let teens fully participate, and that might have something to do with how we react. I think this is the last one. Impression management is challenging on social media because contexts are networked. Who's had uh, a full course on identity and shaping your digital identity? Anybody taking that course? It's not offered, right? It's not in the schools. Okay, and you were able to take one? Or a question about that? Um, I'm trying to find out about myself today, and the, and the computer said deposit two dollars and ninety-five cents. On that note, let's do a digital survey here right now for digital media. How many of you are email users by rubber show Okay, I'm going to do a second part to that one. How many of you get too much email and kind of wish you didn't have to deal with it? Email. Look, we have people standing over that. Next question. How many of you are on Facebook? You have a Facebook account. So that's, that's about a third to a half. Okay. How many of you are on Pinterest? Pinterest is the visual site where you can see pictures and repin. So that's, that's less. That's less than a quarter. I'd say that's about maybe a fifth or a sixth. Okay. Instagram. Look, look at the back, right? You see the back? You see the hands? A lot of teens have moved from Facebook to Instagram and some other places as well. That's sharing pictures. How about Twitter? Do we have any folks on Twitter? Smaller number, like we've probably got. Okay, seven. There's seven of us on Twitter here. Anybody know what that is? Do you all know what Snapchat is? What is Snapchat? It's where you like take pictures of yourself and you send it to your friends. 
Right? And what happens to those pictures? They go away. One of the misconceptions that some adults have about Snapchat is that must all be about sexting. That must all be about pornography. Now, I'm not going to claim to know all the statistics about that, and I'm sure that there are some sizable percentages of Snapchat that is not something I'm going to show up on the projection. But it is not true that all teens want to use Snapchat just because they want to do something inappropriate. Many teens crave privacy and the chance to share a message that's not going to be on their Facebook, that's not going to be on the internet for everyone to see, has some appeal. Not for a prurient or inappropriate motivation, but from a desire to have some privacy. Okay, so hopefully I won't get in trouble for sharing this. This is one of my daughters. I took, I covered up the name. And I, I will show you my daughter. But this is one of my daughter's friends' Instagram accounts from last night. What is that kind of picture called? Selfie. Yeah. Selfie. <laughs> the word of the year, selfie, the word of the year, last year. I have a cart of iPads in my classroom for fourth and fifth grade. If I don't give those kids direction, you know what almost every single one of them wants to do with the iPad? Take a photo of themselves. Alright? So, one of the ways I want to challenge each of us to think about kind of leaving tonight is take a look at the Instagram accounts of your children and your grandchildren. Sit down together and have them show you where they are in digital spaces. Now, this becomes interesting. I gave a, a presentation on internet safety at um, Westminster Presbyterian at that in Oklahoma City, maybe three or four years ago. And the, at the time, director of children's ministries took me aside and said, I've got a problem. My son won't share his Facebook password with me. And I'm afraid that if I make him do it, I'll, I'll lose my relationship with him. And she ended up continuing to talk with him, and, she, and he shared it with her, and you know, they didn't have a major, major crisis. But these are issues we need to navigate. And Instagram, while it, if you go to this site, you know what you're going to see right now? That. Why? Right. Because her profile is set to private. Okay? However, this is a small print, how many followers does she have? Only 290, right? And any one of those followers, just as I did here, could capture the screen and save it and share it with whoever they want to. We need to be having conversations about what we're sharing, what we're doing. You remember when people used to say, don't put the television in the bedroom? Don't put the, the computer in the bedroom? Do you remember that? What exactly is this smartphone? It is a computer. Lots of kids will sleep. Do you? Well, we won't make you raise your hand. I'll just say this. Lots of kids sleep with their phone. Right? Lots of kids get texts at all kinds of night. We have some volunteers. Okay? And, you know, we need, there are lots of issues to talk about. And so the beginning of this is, hey, are you on Instagram? Can you show me? And it might be where you're going to follow them and you're going to have that conversation. Or it just may be something that you sit down. But I think... We need to be checking in with each other, okay? Here's my daughters, all right? Not quite as many selfies, but we can learn some things about Sarah from taking a look at pictures she shares. Here's another book for you. <clears throat> this one is from 1985, and I, I learned about this from Dana Boyd. This is called No Sense of Place, The Impact of Electronic Media on Social Behavior. I haven't actually read this, but this is so interesting because in 1985, there was a gentleman who was was preaching in African-American churches and the way in which he would preach was very different than the way he would talk to a largely Caucasian um, audience when he would, like, say, go to the Rotary Club or something. Media changed his world because now when he went on television, he had to decide what kind of a style was he going to be presenting in. Think about media today. We have to decide, what am I sharing publicly? Who am I telling the world that I am? And I think these dynamics are, are really big, because it's not just someone who had access to be on television in 1985. Now any of us can be a publisher and a sharer, and can have to face this decision about, 
who do I tell the world I am? Did you know there's a little monitoring going on today? I know. Have you heard of that? Yeah. Okay, now I'm not going to go deep into this, but Edward Snowden did just talk at, in Austin last week at the South by Southwest conference, which is one of the biggest sort of geek programmer developer conferences in the, in the country. He video conferenced from Russia. Why? Because if he came to the United States, he would be arrested and put in prison for what he disclosed. One of the disclosures that just happened in February was this one. Optic nerve, millions of Yahoo webcam images intercepted by GCHQ, which worked with NSA. And I won't read you all of this, but basically, for years, they have been capturing every five seconds, every single Yahoo webcam chat in the world and archiving those. They found about 11% of those were pornographic and it actually posed a lot of issues for their group who was tracking these. But regardless of whether or not they were suspected of wrongdoing, this was happening. It's an interesting world we live in. So here's a video called Digital Dossier. And this particular video will, I hope, and I think, get us thinking more about what it is, not only that we share about ourselves, but what we might share with others, and what becomes part of this digital footprint. Just about all of us have a digital dossier, but many of us have no idea what it even is. Your dossier is the accumulation of all the digital tracks you leave behind. And this accumulation did not just start last week, month, or even year. It started before you were even born. The line between your digital dossier and your identity is constantly shifting. One way to see the implication of this movement is to imagine how information goes into the file of a child born today. Let's call him Andy. The first entry into Andy's file occurs while he's still five months into the It is a sonogram, probably framed by his parents, but even forwarded via email to their closest relatives. The same picture will also be copied in Andy's hospital folder, and it's a file for the pediatrician who will take over after birth. As the new baby grows, so do the number of items in his digital file. Andy's barcoded bracelet looks back like gender, time of birth, surname, and more. Friends and family will come to meet the baby, bring gifts, and take more photos, probably with phones or digital cameras. These photos are then also uploaded to other Twitter or Facebook albums as part of the welcoming process. Andy's parents will use their phones to spread the news with SMS text messages, saying something along the lines of healthy baby boy born six pounds at 5.30 p.m. Friends will also post to the Flickr feeds, which will conveniently contain multitudes of Andy's pictures. This process of capturing and spreading pictures will continue for Andy's entire life, with pictures of the first time Andy sits, stands, walks, and talks. As Andy grows, he will now be able to independently share information about himself. He registers as a user of Neopets, where he fills out his name, age, birthday, and other details. Half of the blanks may not be even necessary to fill out, but Andy does not notice the significance of the asterisks as described at the bottom of the page. And so, Andy grows bigger, taller, and broader, and with him grows his digital dossier. As an adolescent, he is sucked into Facebook, where he posts pictures, videos, and information about his likes and dislikes. Facebook in turn deposits cookies into his web browser, tracking his activities. He signs up for a Gmail account and regularly uses Google to research for information needed in school assignments. Google in turn keeps tabs on all the searches Andy makes from his IP address. In college, he buys books from Amazon, which asks for his mailing address and credit card number. Andy's credit card company adds even more details to his dossier. The date, time, location, and price of every purchase he makes. And as Andy moves around, the GPS in his cell phone enables a service provider to know where he is and how many times he has been there recently. He is also filmed by surveillance cameras whenever he walks into secured college buildings. When Andy gets married, his dossier expands to encompass all the information about his wife, and they start a weblog together to share their thoughts and opinions online. Together they compile shell upon shell of digital tracks, files that are recorded and stored under their names. And when Andy has his first baby, aptly named Andy Jr., the cycle is started all over again. These data points, some publicly accessible, others safeguarded to various degrees by companies and agencies that collect and store this data, 
make Andy's identity as it forms, even before he himself begins to shape it. And Andy's digital dossier will even grow after that. Photos or videos of the funeral, RIP messages on Amazon Messenger, or his Facebook status posts. Andy probably never knew how large his dossier was. How aware are you of the tracks you leave behind? Want to learn more about your digital dossier? Buy my book. <laughs> <laughs> That's not mine. Um, so sometimes when we see videos like that, we might think, oh my gosh, this is a nightmare day we live in. Let me just go back to 19, you fill in the blank. Let's think for a moment about Gutenberg. Significant guy in the history of the church? Significant person in the history of communication? Movable type? The printing press? A revolution! Why was Martin Luther excommunicated? What did he translate the Bible into? Vernacular. Right? The vernacular? The tongue of the people? The opportunities we have today, and I have a slide about this at the end, to utilize these technologies to share the gospel, to communicate the love of Christ, to tell stories about God in our lives. Oh my gosh! Who would have dreamed that anyone sitting here could, with a device that's in your pocket or in your purse, share something that could then be spread around the world? It is amazing. And so, while that story of Andy is sobering, and we need to think carefully about what we share, I also think we don't need to take that video and then say, forget computers, forget technology. You know, because we do live in the 21st century, we do live in a time of incredible change, which I'm not sure Gutenberg would have ever imagined. Digital footprints are a reality. We all create them, and the government tracks them, Google tracks them, we need to think about what we share and how much privacy we want to have. I'd like to close with a video that is, op is an optimistic, positive one, but it also makes me think a lot. I'm only going to share about a minute or a minute and a half of it. And it's by an incredible teacher named, uh, let me make sure I get it right, Amy Burval. Uh, she does History for Music Lovers. For, sorry, History for, for, is that right? History for Teachers. Has anybody heard of her before? Her, her most popular one is The French Revolution, which is a remix of Bad Romance by Lady Gaga. It has 1.5 million views. She's taken all kinds of, mainly songs from the 80s, and she's done history lessons. Because she's a history teacher in Honolulu, Hawaii. Well, she did a class recently, I think in February of last year, and she did a remix of Come On, or Come On Eileen uh, called Digital Life. And so I'm going to play a clip from this, and I'll read some of these lyrics, because it's going to be fast, but this is some of what she said. We've had the internet since 1992, and now I never have a sense of what to do, because we're all just nodes connecting, me and you. We wonder if all information should be free, and with our education, how tech could it be, if our devices might change our biology. I'll get my MacBook Pro, and I'll go to Google. Digital life has changed who we are. We're binary in our hearts, and now we tweet and blog and hashtag all our thoughts. Our children start to play with personal robots. Nothing is real until we Instagram our shots. You've got to post it. That makes it legit. Digital life has changed who we are. So let's take a look at this. This is, only, this is about a, I don't know, four-minute video, and I'm just going to show a short clip. Oh, yes. But before I do, have you heard of Marshall McLuhan? Canadian commentator on communication and media. And in the full version of this, you end up getting some clips from Marshall McLuhan talking about whether the, his, one of his big things was the medium is the message and we're shaped by the technology. All right, so here's Amy. <coughs>
I'm, I'm not going to play the whole thing. You can take a look, Google it. Google Amy Burval and Digital Life, where you can access these slides to take a look. This blew my mind last night because she's used a, <clears throat> a tool um, to actually do another version where every time she makes a reference to something, it pops up and you can click it. So there's this interactive version of this whole video that's full of references to lots and lots of things. Amazing! Technology is here. It's always been here since the cave, right? We've got tools that helped us make fires easier and kill animals easier. But the pace of change today is really staggering. My grandmother was born in 1903. Anybody know what happened in aviation history in 1903? In a place called Kitty Hawk. And she passed away in 89, uh, after the shuttles had launched, after the moon landings. My dad used to say, I can't believe how much change my mom saw over her lifetime. And that is, that is true. But do you remember when we were still buying records? Do you remember CDs? Do you remember when iTunes came and how quickly these changes are happening? Do you remember, anybody here cut the cable to cable TV? Does anybody just watch Netflix? Okay, we moved a few years ago. We, we don't have cable TV. You can get like 30 channels over the air right now in Oklahoma City. It's <laughs> Seriously, things are changing really, really fast. And while there are negatives and there are downsides, there are tremendous opportunities that we have to use these tools to communicate, uh, to learn, to grow closer together, to develop relationships. Uh, I will close with scripture. Uh, Matthew 18, 20, uh, 18, sorry, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Think about what it took in past generations to just have the Word, to have the Bible. And now I have more versions of the Bible on my iPhone with the, the Life Church version Bible than I ever dreamed I would have. It doesn't stop there. We're connected. We have chances to share, chances to evangelize, to tell the story of what's happening in our communities, our mission. So many exciting ways to use this technology. But we do need to think about digital footprints. And I hope our presentation tonight has generated some thoughts. And if I haven't gone too late, maybe we can do a few times. I go next to the that I had to ask my daughter what hashtag was. That's okay. It's only been in the last couple of years that hashtags have gone mainstream. Where at a foot, you know, NFL football, your different shows, here's our hashtag. That's that whole two screen thing, right? People watch TV, but they have another screen. So don't feel bad. That's what's LinkedIn? LinkedIn is a professional social networking site. So it is for folks to post their resume and then to make recommendations of folks that they've worked with and people to search to say, I'm looking for a web designer in Oklahoma. Maybe it's not Oklahoma, it's anywhere. And people will pop up and, and it's a reference. So it's, it's, it's more professional networking than anything. A little bit, uh, but it's really the professional, they're marketed as the professional social network, and it's a lot more uh, about resume sharing and recommendations. But they are, they're encouraging people to post there, and they want an active social network with new content is going to have more people visit, more eyeballs are going to sell advertising, and so they're trying to encourage them. Any questions from the back? <laughs> You guys can ask. Try to, you know, I may not know the answer, but try to stop me. Come on, stop me or something. <laughs> you know, I think one of the, the things that worries me as a father is that when your daughter shares photos or information with her friends, and then their friends take that information and they post it on Instagram, they post it on Facebook, and right. they get on there and say, Oh my God! I can't believe she posted that that picture that was supposed to be private. That's right. Or whatever it might be. So, you know, I think that sometimes kids that age have to get shocked in understanding the impact. Well, it's important to say this to all young people: um, to not let someone take a picture of you naked. Okay? Because the instant that picture is taken, you lose control of it. 
and I bet every single high school in every single community in this country has had a sexting incident where a picture has been taken and it spread like wildfire. There's a gentleman in my men's group in Edmond whose granddaughter at North shared the picture with her boyfriend, and the next day, hundreds of students had it. They moved. The embarrassment was so big. It would be great to help students avoid that embarrassment and that kind of issue. That's an extreme, but all kinds of pictures can be shared like that just when it comes to the picture. And there it goes. There it goes. Yes? Uh, that reminds me of this girl. I watched a video of this girl, Amanda Todd. She was, um, she sent this guy a picture of her body. And um, the guy sent it to, found out where she lived and what school she went to and sent it to everybody at her school. So she moved, and then he found out where she lived again, and all that, and everybody was bullying her because of it. Bullying has been around for a long time, but bullies haven't had that opportunity to get so much information about the person electronically and to have a direct line to that person. You know, and there's horrible bullying that happens everywhere, every day. Uh, so one of the things to connect with that is our words are really important, right? The words that we share. Uh, there are children, probably, that we know that they live in our homes that have gotten text messages like, I hate you, you're so ugly, why are you even at our school, why don't you die? In a situation like that, though, there just surely would be legal recourse. To yes, there are. There are. There's legal things to be done. Um, but there's a lot of things that happen that aren't quite that extreme where a stalker is, you know, focused. that potential exists, right? Any of us could be... I try to be careful with the social issues that I post on my public blog because I don't particularly want to become a lightning rod for, for different extremists to, you know, might do crazy things. Well, it's to my family. family. Much more savvy to keep their identity, identity hidden. Well, and we have to make choices about how public or how private we want to be. The, the profession that I've been in, in education, and I was a professional consultant for a number of years, uh, it's a public persona. You know, I'm, I want to be have, I want people to read what I share. I want people to be able to find me. Um, that may not be the case depending upon the job that you have, but the potential for that exists, and we need to think about how much we share. I actually did quit Foursquare. I don't think I use Foursquare. I did quit Foursquare about six months ago. It was kind of a I, I, I was fun. I got badges. You don't know about that. You check in somewhere and you become the mayor. I'm the mayor of the church. I was the mayor of our church for years. Uh, but then I, I went ahead and deleted my account because I, I had decided that I was sharing too much location information and I didn't need people to know when I was out of my house. Okay? Not that anybody's, you know, I haven't had a burglary or something like that when I've been gone. But I just decided that was too much. Those kinds of big choices I think we need to talk, need to talk about. Can you talk about uh, human resource implications of social media and how the human resource departments look on social media as, as intelligence Yeah, so your expression is basically pointing to the fact that you will be Googled for whatever jobs you apply for or organizations you try to join. I was in Alva, Oklahoma three years ago. The counselor told me the story of one of their graduates, great girl, applied to OSU, applied to the sorority, they Googled her, and some of the things they found, and they told her this, and to say, I don't think you'll be a fit for us. So that's why this digital footprint is important. At some point, you want to publish things that you claim and that people will find. And if there are things that are out there about you, you, you need to think about what you could do about that. You could ask people to take things down. Maybe you have names. I know some people like this. Their name that is not that unique. And when you Google that person's name, there's other things you find. That's, that's a different situation than stuff that's about you. Get a question in the back. Hey. I'm not sure. I thought I saw him. Oh, uh, I was talking about what he was talking about saying, you know, is like the bullying online is more people have more confidence because you can't see them. Absolutely. And so it's kind of like it's someone else behind the screen. And people say things with a text or say things with an email that they might not say when they're like with you. And that's adults too, right? That happens with adults. Probably a lot of us have had email situations that have escalated and people said things in email that you're like, you know, and so a lesson there is sometimes it's just good to talk, right? It's just, hey, I think we need to talk. There's emails I've said that I wish I'd said. I think we should just talk. Yes. 
you don't want to be found online, you can use like the names and fake information so they can't find you. Correct. And there, that's one of the things that Dana Boy talks about is how teams will try to control their contact sometimes by using aliases. I just heard Dana about a team who learned that she could disable her Facebook account. And so she would enable it each night when her friends were online, and then she disabled it, which made it invisible to everybody else, you know, during the day when adults were checking. Uh, there's different ways that you can think about hosting things and sharing things that don't necessarily open you up to being searched and having people find you. Reading the small print when you download an app mm -hmm. is real important. I think a lot of people skip that. But maybe in the very last paragraph, it may say you're giving them the right to uh, uh, know your location. Right, right. And, and now with the privacy setting, you can go into that privacy setting, like on the iPhone, and turn up and see which apps have, you know, branch of that. Um, we all need to be very careful about things we download and apps that we install. My daughter, about six months ago, put an app on her phone. And she had said, don't share, but it still did. And my contacts were on. Every one of my contacts received a message from her saying, hey, I joined blah, blah, blah. Come join me. And I got phone calls from our old neighbors like, what is Sarah doing? Told me to do this. What's going on? So we have to be careful. And also look at the uh, ratings. She learned out of that to look at the ratings. Because when you look at the, in the case on iTunes, there were lots of people that said, this is horrible. This shares all your information. Don't get it. Sarah, did you look at that? No, I never looked at that. Honey, you need to look and see what other people are saying. Who, you know, who's the authority? Who recommended this? Yeah, I've just recently starting started checking all the reviews for the apps and stuff because the other day I downloaded an app that hacked my entire tablet. Oh God! So I had to go delete. I had to delete everything and reboot it. Okay. And then I read the I read all the. Uh, Reviews for that, for that one app, and it pack app, pack app, pack app. Okay, so you learned that the hard way. Hopefully your stuff was backed up. So closing thoughts, back up your stuff. You know, some of you lost all the pictures on your phone. Did it back them up? I do, right? Make sure you back up your stuff. Not sure how to back up your stuff? Talk to somebody else. Get a young person, get somebody else to help you with that. Back your stuff up. Have conversations about these issues, okay? Because there's a lot going on. Lots of things happen. Lots of things can change quickly. And we, we need each other, right? We need to live in community and have chances to have relationships and accountability to each other. And so the opportunity to do that with members of your family, members of your church family, members of your community, it's important for all of us. Teachers can't do it by ourselves. Parents can't do it by themselves. You know, you're listening to Fuel for Educational Change Agents, an audio podcast channel including a variety of audio recordings by and recorded by Wesley Fryer, published for educators worldwide interested in free audio-based professional development. This is a supplementary podcast channel complementing Moving at the Speed of Creativity podcast, which typically includes longer and lightly edited or unedited audio recordings. Learn more and access these podcasts on audio.speedofcreativity.org. All content on this podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 United States license.